Amen. Now, if you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to the last chapter, the last paragraph of Luke. We arrive now at Luke 24, verses 50 to 53. We began reading Luke together in our weekly readings in August of 2013. And then this past fall, August 2015, at chapter 22, I began preaching through the last days of Jesus, from his tears of agony in the Garden of Gethsemane to, tonight, his triumphant ascension into heaven itself. What is the very last thing Jesus does in his body on the earth? He raises his hands in blessing over his disciples. And while doing so, he bodily ascends into heaven, as Acts 1 will tell you, disappears into a cloud from their sight. What is the meaning of the ascension? What do we learn about him and about ourselves from this? Let me invite you to give your attention to God's word at Luke chapter 24, verses 50 to 53, and see how Jesus blesses his people, including us. This is the word of God. Then Jesus led them out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands. He blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Amen. This is God's word. May he cut our hearts by it. Let's look to him in prayer. And our Father, we pray that you would show us the glory of Christ, that you would lift him high and draw our hearts to him, do good to our souls, heap blessings on us, we pray. In Jesus' name, we ask it. Amen. Bridges are important transitions. Uh, They surmount difficulties, they cross over dangers, they shorten travel from one place to another. Now, not all bridges are alike. Some are very forgettable, right? They're not destinations in themselves like others are. That train bridge on Main Street here is certainly convenient, But nobody comes to Siloam Springs to see it. And nobody in Siloam Springs, I think, gives it much thought, except to be thankful if they're passing under it, that they're not stuck waiting for a train on Sherry Whitlock or Lincoln. It's functional, but it's ugly. But the Golden Gate Bridge spanning the San Francisco Bay is spectacular. Built in 1937, spanning a mile of water, one of the wonders of the world. Frommer's travel guide says it's possibly the most beautiful, certainly the most photographed bridge in the world. It certainly does what it's supposed to do, but it is a marvel of engineering and a destination place in its own right. The day before vehicle traffic was permitted on it in 1937, 200,000 people crossed it by foot or on roller skates. 50 years later, at its 50th anniversary, Nearly a million people came to marvel at it. Tonight we come to a historically spectacular and theologically important bridge. 
the bridge from Christ's resurrection to his ruling at the right hand of God, from his lifting up out of the grave to his entrance into the very heavenly throne room. And the bridge is called the ascension of Jesus. And it is spectacular, and it is vitally important, and it is filled with rich blessing for you as you understand it. So let me invite you to consider it. I want to ask questions about the passage. I want to ask, why did it happen? Where and how did it happen? Thirdly, what was Jesus doing when it happened? And finally, what are the benefits to us that it happened? And for that, we'll look at a number of New Testament passages. So why, where and how, what uh, was he doing when it happened? And what are the benefits to us that it did happen? In the first place, why did it happen? Well, one answer to that is this. The ascension is an answer to Jesus' own prayer. If you recall in his great high priestly prayer uh, just before his arrest when he met with his disciples in John chapter 17 at verses 4 and 5, Jesus prayed to the Father, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And the Father is answering that prayer here. The resurrection began what the ascension completed. Jesus returned to the glory he knew with his Father. He went home. And the door was wide open. This Son of whom the Father said, This is my beloved Son, and with him I am well pleased. That Father looked at his Son who had finished the work the Father had sent him to do. And rejoiced to have him home with him at his side. You can't imagine what that welcome must have been like. Rejoicing that Jesus had conquered sin, conquered Satan, conquered death. That Jesus had rescued many sons and daughters to bring us safely home to the Father. And so here on earth, he asked that the Father would glorify him in heaven with the glory he had before. And the Father, through the ascension, is doing just that. This son has the ear of his father. Now that's the first thing. That's why, in part anyway. Now where and what happened? <laughs> or how, where and how? Look at verse 50. It says he led his disciples out to the vicinity of Bethany. Basically the village was on the... Um, the eastern slopes of the Mount of Olives outside of Jerusalem on a hill. Uh, This is the place where Mary and Martha and Lazarus, Jesus' very close friends on the earth, lived. He chose to ascend here from a quiet village, not from the highest point in the busy city of Jerusalem. Perhaps he wished to be alone with his disciples and not have his, his ascension witnessed by the masses of crowds who would have no understanding of who he was and what was happening and would be as startled, stunned, and confused by it as we would be if literally there was a Superman outside who suddenly went up into the air. But Jesus, gathering his disciples close to him, ascends up into heaven. He never sought to be a spectacle while he did the spectacular. Now, what was he doing when it happened, or how did it happen? Well, before their eyes, I should say, he, ro- he bodily rose from the earth. And Acts chapter 1, Luke, gives you greater detail. He ascended up 
and he disappeared in the clouds and he ascended into heaven. Where is that? We don't know. Not locally. But it is a place. It isn't a, it isn't a, a state of the mind. Uh, it isn't some spiritual, uh, non-physical, ultimately, thing. It is where the dust of the earth, as Rabbi John Duncan, who was a Christian preacher, knew his Old Testament so well, they called him Rabbi. Rabbi John Duncan said, it's a place where the dust of the earth sits on the throne of the universe. Jesus, in a real body, rises. And that's a reminder to us that heaven is a real place where the physical body of Jesus dwells. And again, where is that? We don't know. We don't have eyes to see it, evidently. C.S. Lewis suggests his passing into heaven in his body is like an actor on stage disappearing from view in the folds of the curtain. He's still on the stage but hidden from view. The ascension here then is a reminder that is, or is a contradiction to that kind of hyper-spirituality so, that says that, you know, the only things that matter are spiritual things, but physical things really don't. Now, this is a contradiction to that idea. God here is saying, Jesus is saying that physical matters matter, that the body matters. And we will have physical bodies, as the Bible promises us, in heaven, raised in power, though we put them in the grave in weakness, raised in honor, though they are in the grave in a kind of dishonor, raised a spiritual body, though it goes into the grave, a natural body, certainly changed and made glorious, but physical. We're not going to find ourselves in a heaven that's a theological college, theological college where for you know, 12 hours a day we'll study the Bible and then uh, we'll all mentally explode, or, or a prayer meeting that just never quits. That is not what heaven is like. But just as Adam and Eve found themselves not in a classroom, but a garden, so will we be home in a beautiful place with God. Now the third question I want to ask is this. What was Jesus doing as he ascended? And the text is very explicit. Go back to it, verse 50. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, He parted from them and was carried up into heaven. What are we learning from this? Well, he he blessed them, and he blessed them before he ascended and as he ascended, and he did so because he has never quit blessing his people. He pronounced a benediction on them here, or a blessing. That's what the meaning of the word is. Just like happens in every worship service here at Redeemer, Jesus here is imitating the Aaronic priests of the Old Testament, or we might turn that around actually and say they were but types of him imitating, as it were, his own future ministry of blessing because he is the great high priest. The priests of the Old Testament were called by God from Numbers chapter 6 on to raise their hands and bless the people. You remember that blessing? We say it here often. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. That's what Aaron said. And Jesus here likewise lifting his hands to bless them. He's taken away. I don't know if um, 
you over the last few years have encountered uh, the lecture series and now a book called uh, The Last Lecture or My Last Lecture. There was a professor at Carnegie Mellon University, a computer science professor, uh, Randy, and I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, Posh, perhaps. Uh, but they asked him to give this lecture, and as it turns out, before he gave it, he did found out that he was actually dying of pancreatic cancer at the very young age of 47. He was going to leave behind his wife and three children. He was invited to give this, what's now a famous lecture, turned into a book titled My Last Lecture. The lecture, however, was not in his field of computer science. It wasn't designed to be that. It was designed to to be about a topic like this. What wisdom would you try to impart to the world if you knew it was your last chance? Many people have given this my last lecture. Why did he agree to do it? That was interesting. He says, I was trying to put myself in a bottle that would one day wash up on the beach for my children. If I were a painter, I would have painted for them. If I were a musician, I would have composed music for them. But I was a lecturer, and so I lectured. Do you see his point? I gave to my children a last memory of what I knew best, what I had spent my whole life doing. And tonight, that is what you are seeing Jesus do here. And what is it that he spent his whole life doing? What is it that he came to do? What is it that he does best? He blesses his people. And he wants that that printed on their eyes and, and ringing in their ears as he leaves them for the last time. When they will see him no more upon this earth. He blessed us. He rose blessing us. This is what he came to do. This is why he died and why he rose. This is why he suffered for us, that we might be blessed. With all their bumbling and all their stumbling and all their unbelief and doubt and backsliding and disbelieving and failures, the last thing they got to see from him was blessing. Now, I want to say a few words about our worship service, concluding with the minister pronouncing the Lord's benediction or blessing upon his people, because I think it might be helpful to you to understand why we worship the way that we do. We use a scriptural word of blessing during the benediction. The minister or I, I raise my hands toward the people, following the example of both Aaron and Jesus, who raised their hands toward the people as they blessed them. Now, I am not a priest of the Old Testament, certainly not. And having Jesus as our great high priest, we need no other priestly cast in that way. And in Christ, in fact, perhaps as you know, we are all priests of God. There's a priesthood of all believers. We are all have access through the great high priest into the throne room of heaven. We are all called to be a blessing to one another, to pray for one another, to intercede for one another, to do the kinds of things priests do. When I give the benediction as your pastor, God's blessing is being declared from God's word upon God's believing people. It is his blessing promised to his people 
from his word and repeated by the minister. It is as if Jesus is lifting his hands over us to bless us because from his word and through his spirit, he does bless us. Now that benediction also takes the form of a prayer by me for you as I'm the one who gives it. And we should receive it in faith. We should agree with it. And we should be saying in our hearts, yes, Lord. And and yes for me and yes for them too. Make it so. Now there's considerable debate about the proper posture. Some of you have no idea there's a debate about this and care very little about it. I understand. But there is a considerable debate, not, not in our church, but in the wider Christian community about the proper posture to receive a benediction at the end of a service. Some people say, well, you should have your head bowed and your eyes closed. And some people say, no, 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 you should have your your chin lifted and your eyes open. And others say, you should extend your hands like this and receive symbolically that which is being pronounced. Noting, however, that the Bible doesn't command a particular posture for those who are receiving it. Dr. Brian Chappell, PCA minister, used to be head of president of Covenant Seminary says, the vigor and vehemence of these discussions underscore our almost infinite capacity to make a controversy out of our preferences or to make a superstition out of our habits. The posture you take in receiving the blessing is not dictated by God's word, and I simply want to say you are therefore free to practice any of these as you hear and receive God's fatherly blessing from his word, through his spirit, pronounced upon you so Jesus ascended while blessing them and it was the last thing they saw the last thing they heard and he ascended while doing it perhaps to assure them and point to the fact that he was never going to quit blessing them that he was perpetually forever and ever going to continue in the posture of blessing his people which in fact he does So we've seen that he ascended in answer to his own prayer and the Father's answering. He ascended and shows us that our bodies matter to God. He ascended to continue blessing his disciples. And the last question I want to ask, for which we'll dive into some various New Testament texts, is this. What else does the Bible teach about him and ourselves because he ascended? And I want to point you to five or six things, each of them rather quickly. Number one, Jesus ascended to be our forerunner into heaven. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 says this. We have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into or or into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Jesus, as the captain, uh, or just as the captain of a ship, drops an anchor to hold his ship firmly to the ocean floor, so the Lord's ascension through the curtain into the very presence and throne room of God is an anchor for us, holding us steadfast in the storms of life. Our anchor chain, however, doesn't run down to the depths of the ocean, but our anchor chain runs right up into heaven itself. So how do you know? 
that you yourself, you who believe in Jesus, are someday going to stand on your own feet on the dirt and the soil and the grass and the streets of the heavenly city because Jesus has run ahead of you and opened wide the door. Now the second thing we learn is that he ascended to prepare a place for us in the Father's home. If you were to look at John chapter 14, 1 to 3, it's very famous. Jesus said to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So the ascension is is the beginning of that. Where is Jesus going to? He's going to the right hand of the Father to do what? To prepare a place for his people. How do you know? That you're going to open your eyes, eyes made perfect forever on the glory of heaven. And how do you know that you're going to hear with your ears the beautiful sounds of heaven? How do you know that you are right to stand firm in your faith in Jesus, no matter what the difficulties, no matter what the sacrifices, no matter how wearying your pilgrimage is to heaven? How do you know? Here's how you know, because Jesus is already there, and he went there to prepare a place for you. It's sometimes thought that this passage teaches that we will all have our own individual mansion in heaven, and that's because the King James translation reads that way. I go to prepare... In my father's house, there are many mansions, and I go to prepare them for you, but the King James there is is a Latin is based on a Latin translation rather than the original Greek. And the Latin uh, was, and I don't know how to pronounce it in Latin, but basically mansion. And so they brought it into English and translated it mansion. But the idea is really uh, a room or a resting place. There is one house, the Father's house, and in the one house, greater than any mansion you could imagine, in that one house there are many places for you to rest, and he is preparing them all for his people. And so after a long and difficult journey, arriving perhaps weak, tired, frustrated, worn out, sin weary and sin sick and just sick of life in this world, what could be more delightful or hopeful than the thought that your loving Savior is preparing to welcome you at the door of the Father's house and to swing wide that door and to invite you in to show you around all the places where you can rest because they're made ready for you. This is why he ascended. The third reason, he ascended in order to intercede for us. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 24 says, Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. 
He is our great high priest. He's in the holy of holies. And there in the presence of the Father, he dwells forever. And there he is on our behalf, always mediating the blessing of God to us. Always interceding on our behalf. He's there as our advocate to stand in our defense, to speak a good word to the court on our behalf. Though Satan accuses us. And says to God, you must condemn them. Look how filthy, rotten they are. They act more like me, Satan says, than one of your holy angels. Yet Christ speaks up for us. And he says to the Father, though they deserve the same condemnation of the devil, yet I was condemned for them. They are mine, and I was cursed for them. Let us continue to bless them. And God's justice answers and says, yes. And he does. He does this. Even mediating God's grace and his help when we're desperate. You remember Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 to 16 where we are exhorted because we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet without sin let us then the writer says with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need in other words that throne is not a throne of condemnation for all who come to that throne through Christ it is a throne of grace And from there, you are given generously all that you need. And God delights to do so. You do not need to send your prayer requests to the wailing wall in Jerusalem that someone could shove them on a slip of paper into the cracks of the wall in the hopes that they might get heard. Nor do you need to pay somebody to read them on a loudspeaker over that wailing wall, which is a multi-million dollar business. You just come to God through faith in Christ and Christ at the right hand of the Father, the well-beloved Son, the perfect high priest. And it's all to the ear of the Father and graciously and generously answered in accordance with His wisdom and according to our need as He delights to shower blessing on His children and to help us His children even when they are at the end of their rope. When you say, I am done, I can't take it anymore, I can't do anymore, I I need help, that's the kind of prayer the Lord loves to answer on behalf of his people. And the purchase price of that answered prayer was paid by Jesus, that we might get the free gift of God's help. So are you at the end of your rope? He loves to help people like you. He loves to pity the needy, to answer our pleas. And though we even fail in weakness, we fail in belief, we fail in sin, even to seeking, even, even to seek his help when we're run out of our own strength. And even though we fail to ask for help, Jesus always lives to intercede for us. Even when we have failed, he is faithful. And so Jesus is there to intercede for us in the fourth place. He ascended in order to rule for us. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. After making purification for sins, 
he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And what is he doing in sitting down? He is not resting. He is not weary from his work. He is on the throne ruling. So that's why Paul in Ephesians 1 speaks of Christ having risen from the dead and ascended and is seated by God over all things. Why? For the good of his people. He is seated seated over every rule and authority and dominion. Why? For the church. He's in charge of all of it. For his bride. No bride ever had a more diligent and powerful provider and defender. No bride has ever been so cherished, so nourished, so protected. Jesus is there for us ruling. And finally, he ascended to send the Holy Spirit to us. In John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That helper is the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the the another comforter, uh, Jesus' own spirit, the Holy Spirit. He He departed so that he could be nearer to us than if he didn't depart. The ascension means that he is closer to us, to each of us, than ever. It is one of the great mysteries of the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples it would be advantageous for them if he left and returned to heaven. Because then the Spirit would come to them. His bodily absence means his spiritual omnipresence, says one pastor. And this is what Paul prays in Ephesians 3. Do you remember in Ephesians 3... He says, I bow my knees before the Father, and I ask that out of his glorious riches, he would strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul says, I'm praying that the spirit at work in your inner being would be so that Christ would dwell in your hearts. In other words, Jesus left to send the spirit so that he would dwell within and make his home in our hearts. If he were living still on the earth, he could be close to a few of his disciples at any given time. But by the ascension and pouring out of his spirit, he is near to all of his disciples all of the time. Because the Spirit is making your heart Christ's home. Because this is all ours in Jesus. No wonder the disciples worshipped him as he left them. And they returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy. And they gathered together to celebrate and to give thanks to God and to bless the one who had first and was continuing to Bless them. That's what disciples do. Is that you? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we we give you great thanks. Fill our hearts with gratitude and joy and hope and delight in the Son in whom you delight. Help us to know the confidence we can have before you. The confidence we can have for our eternal futures in your presence because of him. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Let's stand and sing.